The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report programme. Well, over the last few months, we've had many queries about pension and provident funds and all sorts of retirement funding. So this evening, that's what we'll be focusing on with my guest, Attorney Carlisle Field. And he's an associate partner at Shepston Wiley Attorneys who works in the Employment Law Department specialising in retirement fund law. Well... If you have any questions, I suggest you get dialing now because normally at the end of every show, people start phoning in right at the end and then we can't put you on and we hate that. So if you want to speak to my attorney this evening, please do call in early. It's 0892 Any questions you have on retirement funding, provident funds, anything to do with that, pensions, give us a call. Carlisle, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address as well as a note of exactly which documents you want. If you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Just a reminder to get in early with your call, 0892102010, Carlisle Pension and Provident Fund Retirement Fund Law, it's quite a minefield. It is, Karen. It's uh, something that not many people expect someone to specialise in as an attorney. Uh, for us, it's uh, as pension lawyers and as a member of the Pension Lawyers Association, it's something that obviously we have an interest in. And surprisingly, there are a number of queries and there are a number of legal, number of legal issues that arise uh, for pension lawyers, for anyone involved in the employee benefits industry. Do you find that people aren't really aware of what their rights are when it comes to problems within that particular field? Absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a field of law that... Some would say is highly specialized and, and quite complicated. And for the layman on the streets, most people have some sort of retirement savings. They have um, some sort of entitlement as a result of the employment. And very few of them are actually aware of what their rights and, uh, and their entitlements are. Are there a lot of different rights when it comes to pension as opposed to providence? As to what, or is retirement funding just one big thing altogether? I would say it's one big thing altogether as far as the difference between pension and provident fund goes. I mean, ultimately, you're talking about people that are saving for their retirement. They may be doing it individually um, in their own capacity. They may be doing it through some sort of employer's occupational scheme that they contribute to. But there are other issues. Disability issues are tied into that as well. You have issues relating to death benefits. Um, there are a number of other issues that fall within the sphere of uh, retirement fund law. And people need to know what it is they're doing. Definitely. Okay, and the problem is I don't think, I'm not slating any particular companies here, but a lot of times, I do, do companies just not tell people what they should know about? Do you ever find that? I, I could agree with that to an extent. I think as well, you must remember that there is an obligation on the specific funds to communicate with members and the administrators of the funds. And certainly some of them do lack in terms of what they communicate to, to individuals. So you can completely understand where some people aren't aware of, uh, of, of what, like we said earlier, what their rights are and what their, what their obligations are and their entitlements. Um, but I wouldn't so go so far as to blame specifically employers. I think a lot of focus needs to be put on the different funds as well. Okay, and you, you can also say to a lesser extent that people should, although people aren't always aware of exactly what their rights are, but people should know if they can, exactly what's going on with their retirement funding. But that's not that easy. I mean, it's easy to say that, but it's not that easy to put that into practice. Definitely. I agree with that 100% because 
for a lot of people, their retirement savings are one of their main assets. And you'll find that a lot of people don't have a lot of interest in it. Um, they don't take the time to, 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 to establish exactly what, they, what they're entitled to and what their rights are. And so it's certainly an area that I think individuals need to put a bit more focus into in terms of... Well, I had one. I mentioned that we'd had a number of calls about uh, and questions about pension and provident funds. But we also had an email, rather desperate email, from Jonathan in Velcom in the Free State. It's a very long story, and basically it goes back to 1979 when he started working on the uranium mines. Um, he moved off to the diamond mines. He had problems with his lungs, and he says it was due to the dust and the chemicals and the fumes that he was exposed to. He then had an operation. He lost half of his right lung. Um, then it goes into a whole workman's compensation thing where he says it was never reported. But the bottom line, he then had a slip and a fall and he was injured and there was a back operation. He was finally boarded after he'd had a heart stoppage in 2008. And he was medically boarded, not for the heart thing or the lung thing, but for the back thing in 2009. Now, his problem is, as he says here, is that nobody wants to accept liability for his present suffering. And he says his monthly income is not 75% of the total salary as it was at the time that he was declared medically unfit due to the injury on duty. He also battles to receive one third as a lump sum from the pension contributions as per the rules of the fund. And he's busy paying for all his medical expenses, but that's also workman's comp issue. What can he do about this pension fund issue, the 75% thing? Is that a given? Does he have to get that? And the one-third as a lump sum, is that a given? Do you automatically get that? Karen, I think just to go back one step, in these type of situations, it's important to establish where this liability lies. I mean, clearly this type of person thinks that they have some sort of um, entitlement to compensation or a disability income replacement but you first need to establish, do you have, does your fund have a liability, the fund that you're a member of, or is it your employer that has that particular liability? So, as I said, that's the first step that, he, that someone like this would need to look at. We see there that he says that he's not receiving 75% of, uh, of his salary since he became disabled. But that in particular, was that something that his employer promised him, or is it a fund benefit? Generally, in these type of situations, that would be something that the employer had uh, contracted with the employee that if they became disabled while they were employed, they'd become entitled to 75% of their salary. I think is that, that's sort of a standard, a kind of a pension type thing I think he's looking at there. It is uh, it, it is something, it, it results in the confusion between what your fund has promised you and what your employer has promised you. So in my particular experience, I think that that 75% is something that he needs to take up with his employer. It's, it's, it seems to be some sort of insurance policy that guarantees a, an income replacement benefit during the period of his disablement. But then he gets onto the other issue, which is the issue of him not receiving one third of his retirement benefits. And the key thing here is whether he's actually still a member of the fund. He said he was medically boarded. He said he was medically boarded. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he that his fund membership terminated or that it didn't terminate. The oh, important right. thing is, okay, so he could, might not be of pensionable age, is what you're saying. Exactly. Oh, right. Okay. In some situations, you'll have a situation where a person will come med medically boarded and immediately they will be retired on the on the grounds of disability, and then they would be entitled to receive their one one third of their benefits, which is something that only happens on retirement. That's the key point here. If he has a, a, a policy in place, or his employer had a policy in place, should I say, where he actually continued to receive a benefit during his disablement, but he, he didn't actually, his membership didn't terminate of the fund, then he wouldn't have an entitlement to receive 
that portion of his benefits. So that clearly that's the type of misunderstanding that we were talking about earlier, where this particular person may feel like, well, because I'm not working anymore, now I'm entitled to receive my retirement benefits, whereas in fact until his fund membership actually terminates, he doesn't have any entitlement to receive that. So that could explain that one-third thing. Okay, That so. makes a lot of sense. I hadn't actually thought of that. So he might not be of retirement age. Exactly. But once he is of retirement age, that would then fall in. Is that a given that that automatically happens always with a retirement fund, a pension fund? That when you reach retirement age, you can receive one-third of your benefit. Yes, for a pension fund, you can receive one-third of your benefit when you retire. For a provident fund, you can receive your full benefit. That's something that uh, National Treasury and the government are looking into, and soon it will be a case of everyone um, being forced to receive a pension going forward, and you can't that's receive a much your, better idea, your full though. benefit. It is. It's something. That there, there are practical reasons why they're taking it steps that the the government doesn't have to support people while into their while into their retirement. Mm. But in this particular issue, like I said, I mean, the first step is to find out when you feel that you're entitled to a benefit, being your seventy five percent of your salary. First, establish where that arises, does that arise with your employer? And thereafter, it's important to remember that your employer and your fund are two entirely separate legal entities. So when you look at, well, am I entitled to my retirement benefits? If I'm a member of a, of, of a pension fund, can I withdraw one third? If I'm a member of a provident fund, can I withdraw the full benefits? You need to look at that fund in isolation. You need to look at what its rules say. Are you regarded as have being retired from that particular fund? Because he says here, as this that was this one third thing, he says as per the rules of the fund. But maybe he's reading the rules of the fund, but not relating them to, them to his exact case. Exactly. But as you say, he might not be of retirement age. There might be something like that. He must look at that part of it. Okay. Well, I hope Jonathan that that's sort of halfway helps you even a little bit because you know your email is quite desperate, and I hope that we've been able to give you some advice there. Right, we've had some calls on the line. Oh, thank you all of you for calling in early. It's really great. Thank you so much. Right, Mark in Margate, good evening. Yes, good evening to you. Lovely show as always. Thank you, Mark. How uh, can we help? Yeah, two questions on endowment policies. I, I have an endowment policy in the UK. Um, it's due for maturity in May of this year. Now, I understand with um, endowment policies, you're allowed one-third on retirement, but you can get the full amount depending on your medical condition. Um, that's the one question, because I do have a number of medical conditions, including uh, partially sightedness and some other issues, but I won't go into detail. The other question is, I want to bring it out here and invest it. Um, is it advisable to keep it as an endowment policy, switch it to something else, going to property? I know he's not an investment manager, but what would you recommend on that score? Mark, sure, Mark, just to start... Um the the first issue here is that as far as the, the, the different conditions between receiving one-third of your benefit reverse re, compared to, say, receiving your full benefit, I mean, that's something that will be regulated in terms of the law that applies in that particular country. I think you said it was in the UK. So, yes. I, I mean, I, I apologize for not being able to give you any more detailed answer than that. But obviously, the, the different laws differ between different countries. Um, in, in this particular country, I can't think of any circumstance that would give you that entitlement. But again, I mean, that's entirely regulated. If you have some sort of entitlement to receive a full benefit as opposed to just one third because of your medical condition, that's something that you may want to ask a specialist or someone that specializes in law in that particular country to advise you on. As far as your other query goes about transferring the benefit share, Immigration, not immigration, but transferring funds between countries as a result of immigrating, if you want to put it that way, is something that's extremely complicated. I have dealt with it before, and the advice that I can give you, 
I can't off the top of my head advise you regarding that, but I will tell you that our Reserve Bank um, issues some very informative guidelines on those type of issues. It's something that you need to look at with regards to your personal circumstances and what you want to do with your money. I certainly suggest having a financial advisor advise you regarding the implications of that decision. But even for an individual, like I said, like yourself, you don't necessarily, in order to get an idea of what your options are, um, those reserve bank guidelines regarding transferring funds in between countries can be very helpful. So I would I'd strongly recommend that yeah. you looked at those, um, saw what options are available to you, and then, like I said, I would also strongly recommend that you that you took financial advice regarding that type of decision. Okay, lovely. Thanks very much. Thanks, no Mark. Good night to you. Thanks. Bye. Right, Bye. still staying up in KZN. Dan in Durban. Good evening. Hi, ma'am. This is Dan, yeah? Hello, Dan. How can Hello. we help you? Hi to the guest, the attorney. Thank you. Uh, I'm 65. This is 65 this month, ma'am. Well, well and, done. Uh, I'll be taking my provident fund, and I'll be still working for the company. Now I want to know, I pay you all these years, but I didn't collect, not once I collect unemployment. What do I, what happens then? Okay, he's he's working still. He's sixty five. He's draw, he's already taken his provident fund. Now, if he stops working, can he still claim? Is, did you say can you still claim from the unemployment, Dan? Is that what you said? Yes, I didn't. Okay, he's didn't never claimed unemployment ever, and he's been paying it all these years. Can he still claim unemployment when he leaves his job? Dan, I find I find that a bit strange, and and maybe we can just pick up a bit more on the facts. The reason I say that is because the rules that regulate pension funds and provident funds are quite strict. That you can only actually receive your benefits. Once you either reach retirement age or if you leave this leave employment, so when you say that you've received your benefit but you're still employment, no, no, I, I didn't receive any benefits yet. Oh, I thought okay. you said you took your provident fund. No, I want to take my provident fund. Oh, you want to take it? Oh, I'm right. For it next month. Sure. Oh, okay. So, so what is the particular query there? Dan? He wants what? to know if he takes the provident no, fund, can he still take I, the unemployment? Why are still taking a UIF for me when that I can't collect the unemployment? Well, if you've reached retirement age, um, and again, I mean, unemployment insurance and the unemployment insurance fund are something that fall uh, more within the scope of labor law, but uh, it would only make sense that if you are retiring and, and therefore you're becoming entitled to that benefit, um, that you wouldn't be entitled to your to any unemployment insurance. The only other possibility would be to become entitled to some sort of old age pension. But again, I mean, those type of things are subject to means tests. So if you are going to leave your provident fund and become entitled to a benefit, um, and they're going to subject you to a means test to determine what your assets are and what your ongoing income is, it's it's yeah. it's quite likely that you won't be entitled to receive any form of other benefit from the state, be it unemployment insurance or, say, for example, a state old age pension. But if I understand you correctly, is that, is that your query? Is that what you were intending to? No, he, once, I, he was saying basically yeah. all his life he's been paying unemployment. He's never claimed it. Sure. Now he's about to retire and he wants to yeah. know if he, why he can't claim it now as well as his provident fund. I see. Well, to, I mean, to answer that pretty, quite simply is that Unemployment insurance, you could you could view it as some sort of, you should view it as insurance. That's exactly what it is. So it's something that not everyone will claim. If you spent your working career employed, unfortunately, if you've now reached retirement and you've got your provident fund savings, then you won't become entitled to unemployment after your retirement. So, so for forty-seven years, I was paying UIF, so I get nothing for it. Well, I've only been paying for six, Dan, but I may be in your position as well forty-seven years later. But um, <laughs> best best of luck with that. Okay, thanks, thanks no Dan. Bye-bye now. Good night to you. Right, Andres in Bloemfontein. Good evening. 
Good evening, Karen, man. I just want to know on my grandfather's behalf. He's been working since my, I was child. He never claimed for UIF. Now he's got the 63 years of age and he's on the state pension. When is he entitled for his pensions? Uh, UIF, I mean UIF. No, well, it's the same question. Again, it's a very similar question to, to before. I mean, UIF is something that, that, as far as I understand, and again, we're getting into the scope of labor law, unemployment insurance is something that would apply during your your working years. I'm not sure of the specific age limit on it, but once you become entitled to a state, state old age pension, I mean, that's a separate benefit that the government would be paying you. So I wouldn't, it wouldn't seem practical that you, that you or your relative would be entitled to both. So uh, the, does that mean he must just uh, forget about his UIF and uh, uh, rely on that uh, state pension fund? How did he get the pension? Because uh, his ID number can reflect he got a lot of money on the UIF. Yeah, but it, that doesn't affect that. UIF just covers you when you're not working, when you out of when you've been out of a job. That's what mm -hmm. the UIF is. But then once you start claiming the pension, you, I don't think you can claim both. Okay, it means you must forget about it, man. Well, I wouldn't say forget about it. I mean, this is this is this is the best advice that we can give. By all means, you can make inquiries with the different with the different state departments and 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 check whether there's any entitlement to receive UIF in addition to a state old age pension. Um, like I said earlier, that for me is something that falls within the scope of labor law and possibly just outside my my area of expertise. Um, it's something that's worth making inquiries on. But just my initial reaction is that being entitled to a state old old age pension would exclude you from also receiving your unemployment insurance. Because I, mean, I would think the unemployment relates more to people of working age because exactly. it's there to benefit them if they lose their job. Yeah. That is what the UIF is. And once you actually reach the retirement age, you wouldn't have been working anyway, so you shouldn't be getting the UIF, but then you start, you move from the UIF to the pension. It's, okay, it's one to the, I, Andres, but as, as um, we've said, you know, maybe just go and double check that, but I would imagine that you, you shouldn't be eligible for both. But double check it. I'll do that, ma'am. I'll do that. Okay, Andres. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, ma'am. Bye now. You tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is Attorney Carlisle Field, and he's an associate partner at Shepston Wiley Attorneys in the Employment Law Department, specialising in retirement fund law. If you have a question for us, you can call us now on 0892 2010. 0892 2010. David in Rustenburg, good evening. Yeah, good evening, man. Hi, how can we help, David? Yeah, what I want to know is what is the normal retirement in South Africa regarding the pensions? Because we understand the, the pension, state pension is 60, but there are some pension funds which control the retirement age at 62 and a half and 65. The state, what does the state say regarding the pension funds? Well, David, I think you've got it exactly right. The, the state has its own age for your state's old age pension. But now as far as receiving a pension from a different source goes, like for example, if you're a member of your employer's pension fund or you, you, you had your, your own retirement savings, uh, that would depend entirely in terms of what the rules of that particular fund say. So if, if, if you did have those savings and you wanted to determine at what age can I retire and start receiving a pension or if it's a provident fund, can I receive my full benefit? It's entirely in terms of that particular policy or the rules of that that particular fund. You, you've got to separate the state old age pension um, from pensions that are payable from other sources. So 
So those are controlled by the, the, the pension rules and not controlled by the state. Exactly. Different funds can have ages anywhere. I mean, anywhere from 55 right through 65. In fact, there's no specific... Uh, you can have any age that the person retires on. Those are generally the ages that are retiring. They could also have early retirement in terms of a particular fund's rule. So they could say that you, you would, you're automatically retired at 65, say, for example, and you become entitled to a pension, but you could retire early from, say, the age of 55. Um, and again, that is entirely in terms of that particular fund rules or if it's a retirement unit in terms of that policy, it doesn't have anything to do with what the age is for the state old pension. It's certainly not something that's, that's regulated by the government. So what does the tax rules, how do they apply if the, the government says this and then the pension funds rules says this? Who's controlling the tax? Well, again, if you have a situation, this goes back to an earlier call that we had. If you have a situation where a person becomes wants to claim a state old age pension, they can do that from the age, and you are telling me that at 60, that they can claim it from that age. But whether they'll become entitled to it d- depends entirely on a means test that will be applied to them in particular. Now, if they're working and they haven't yet retired, then they are probably still receiving a salary from whoever that employer is. And by all means, if they can become entitled to, to, to that benefit, then they can apply for it and try and claim it. But generally what would happen is that you're, if, if you're still receiving a salary or if at a later stage you're then receiving a pension from your fund, you may not be entitled to that state old pension. But you must look at them entirely separately. The state old age pension is something that the, that the government will give you from 60 if you qualify for it, it doesn't have to do, it's not directly linked to whether you're working or whether you are in receipt of a pension from your pension fund. That's what's taken into consideration when determining whether you're actually entitled to that state old age pension. Okay, no, thanks, man. Sure. Thanks, David. Good night to you. It's also a case of, it's not something that every, when the minute we all turn 60, that we can apply for the old age state pension. Exactly you have to actually be worthy of that because a lot of people have got investments, they've got money coming in from somewhere else, they've got you know funding from something else. You don't automatically qualify for the state old age pension. You, as you said, there is a means test. I agree, exactly. Mm. And, and with, if you're receiving a salary or if you receive your pension, obviously that gets taken into consideration. So generally, those two things wouldn't apply um, simultaneously because the people that are receiving a salary or receiving a pension um, wouldn't qualify for state old age pension. But it may occur that someone is receiving such a minimal income, mm. be it from an employer or a pension fund, that they still do qualify. And in that case, then by all means, they should go and apply for their pension and see if they qualify for it. Absolutely. But there is the means test. And as I said, it's not automatic that all of us turn 60 and we suddenly get the state 100%. pension. It doesn't yep. work like that. Gosh, we're all over KwaZulu-Natal this evening. Kathy, good evening. Oh, hi, Karen. Hi. Thanks for a good show. It's a pleasure. Always. Thank you. Um, just to let you know, um, unless it's changed within the last two or three years, um, I was able to claim unemployment after I retired on my Provident Fund. Okay. You're entitled to, you, you should apply for unemployment. Um, and uh, does that have anything, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting for me to hear that, but is that something that relates to, to your age as well, Kathy? I mean, is there no... Well, I retired at 64. And you... And, and uh, somebody retired more or less oh, no, a, couple, a couple of years after me, and we're the same age, and he got paid out his uh, retirement, uh, his uh, unemployment, and so did I. But the, I think the, the question, Kathy, that was, was, was the person wanted to know if they could claim unemployment and the state old age pension? That was the last guy, but the guy before that said, you know, he was going to retire from his, with his Provident Fund, and could he claim unemployment? 
Oh, right. Okay. That, that, that's the first guy. That's, you know, that oh, asked, right. The second okay. guy asked about the old age pension, uh, the government pension and unemployment. But the first guy asked, he was retiring on a provident fund. And Cathy, are you still are you still on receipts of unemployment insurance? No, you just get it for, sure. I think, about six, six months. months. Six months. Now that you actually mention yeah. it, Cathy, it reminds me that somebody I know did exactly that. I'm just I'm just remembering this now that you bring it up. And I know somebody who retired and actually from the, had their own business and retired, but had been paying unemployment, and she claimed unemployment. Yes, yes you're is, right. Your, your company, when you retire, they give you all, they must give you the IRP five forms and everything to to be able to take because you've only got a, a limited period mm. to do it with them. And I think you've got to do it within 30 days of retiring or something to that effect. But they're supposed to give you the forms and, you know, giving you um, what you've worked, you know, what, what you, well, you're basically your IRP files form, so that you can take it to the unemployment insurance and, and put your claim in straight away. You're actually right, because I remember somebody I know doing just that. Yeah, no, I thought I must just phone and tell well, you that you. you can actually claim. Thanks, Cathy. Um, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's something that, that falls more within that realm of, of, of labor law and that type of thing, those, those yeah. different benefits you become entitled to. But, I, I mean, I find no, that it's interesting, something that, that, that I... It's not with Provident Fund, but, uh, you know, I just thought I should just let you know that you can actually claim that, and you should. And just out of interest, that person that you were talking about, um, a, a colleague, a colleague, that you said, when they retired, were they over the age of 65 or 65 or yeah. older? Yeah, no, they were older. And they were also entitled to that unemployment? Yes, they, they also retired on a provident fund. And, um, in fact, you know, you pay tax on, because he also did contract work. And I did a couple of, <clears throat> of, of stints of three months at a time of contract work after I retired. And um, you get all those um, forms of what you'd earned and what you'd paid in tax, etc. And take it, and you get paid out accordingly to according to to what you'd been earning. Yeah, I, as I said, I, I remember now quite distinctly somebody I know that <laughs> yeah. did exactly. So thank you for reminding me of that, Kathy. Uh, I think it's important that a lot of people don't know, and if your employer doesn't tell the, the employee about it, very few people know about it that you can actually do that. Well, who were we talking to that had forty-seven years service and wanted to know about that? So I can't remember who it was, but if you still, hopefully, you're still listening. Go and claim your uninsur- unemployment insurance yes, now. You can get the necessary forms mm. from your in- uh, employer um, and uh, go to the unemployment, and you you are entitled to claim. Well, the, whoever that was now that called in forty-seven years, you can you've got a lot of unemployment. You can only claim that for six months. That is, that's the limit. Yeah, only claim for six months, and it's based on, um, and, you know, it's your salary that you've he'd been working for the, the last salary of the last two years of forty-seven years you've been working, and then, and then of course a little bit after that that we, you know, you get paid up. Um, normally, I think you get paid up. And monthly, it depends entirely. And I got paid out in the lump sum, fortunately. Oh, that was good. Only once off to the office. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. Kathy, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Apparently, it was Andres that got through to us. I'm going to ask my producer just to drop Andres a call quickly, and hopefully he heard that, and uh, tell him to go and investigate the, uh, the possibility. Kathy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a, a lot. Thanks for wonderful program. Thank Thanks. you. Okay, bye-bye now. Right, Stanley in Tembiso, good evening. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, Kathy. Kathy, I'm just going to be short. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just asking on behalf of my father. He was working at the municipality before it, it was taken by the city of Jobek from 1979 till 1993. So he never, he never claimed a UIF since um, he's got retired. 
So I just want to know, is it possible he's 50 years old, he never worked, he was working for his job and all that kind of thing? I just want to know, is it possible for him to go and claim that UAF? You still got a chance for that? Well, uh, certainly I would say to you that um, based on the previous call, I'd certainly recommend that well, you when, go. When did he stop working? He stopped working in, at 1993. Oh, gosh, and I think it's a bit too long ago now. I, can you still Is claim it? that long ago? I, that Stanley, I don't know. Maybe you should just go and inquire. Okay. But he would need all the documentation from his employer, though. Okay. No, I just wanted to know that. Thank you very you, much. You, I mean, the point is, don't leave it. Go and ask. But are you need as as that lady Kathy was calling, who called in? Now, she said you need lots of papers and forms from the employer to be able to do that. So, but don't don't um, leave it. It's always worth a shot. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Stanley, thanks. Thank bye bye now. Bye bye. I think we've opened a can of worms here with this with UIF, UIF thing. <laughs> I think you do a whole show in UIF. It sounds Go like on. it, gosh. <laughs> Maybe that's an idea. Well, you just a reminder you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Carlisle Field, and he's an associate partner at Shepston Wiley Attorneys in the Employment Law Department, specializing in retirement fund law. If you have any questions, you can call us on 089. 2010-2010. Humphrey in Cape Town. Good evening. Uh, good evening, man. How are you? Fine, thanks. And you? Yeah, well, thank you, man. How can we help, Humphrey? Well, I mean, I wanted to find out something. I'm working on a company here for four years in, yeah, in Cape Town, right? Okay. So I wanted to find out. If I want to find out, I want to know how much you uh, are pulling because they're not producing nothing for me. That's how much they're pulling for, for UIF and all that stuff. What can I do to take a further step and know what's happening? Humphrey, I, I, would, I would say to you that your first step is to look at your payslip. Your payslip should have the different deductions that are being made from your salary to know what you're contributing to. I would hope at the very least that you know whether someone is contributing to a retirement fund for you. Are you, are you, are you aware of that? Have they, have they let you know that you're actually a member of a particular fund? Yeah. Um, so as far as the amount that you go is con that you contribute and goes, you there's two ways of determining it. Like I said, the easiest way would be, would be to look at your payslip. They should reflect what different contributions are being made. Um, something like UIF would come off automatically. Um, and then as far as your contribution goes, like I said, on your payslip it should have a rand amount that shows how much is being contributed and to what fund. And then also, if you wanted even more clarity. Um, you could speak to your employer or maybe your human resources department and look at the rules of that particular fund and find out how much you are actually required to contribute. Humphrey, are you getting a payslip? No, what they're doing is they, they do give us a, a payslip now, but they sometimes they don't know how much they're pulling. They said they're pulling under and each and every month, you understand? So sometimes they said, no, they, they misprinted and all that stuff. So I wanted to find out if I wanted to find out if they're actually pulling it for the UIF. Well, that we can't really tell you that you need to, it needs to be by law, I think. Am I correct, Kalal? It needs by law to be on that payslip exactly what they're deducting and how much they're deducting and what they're deducting it for. Okay. And if they're not giving it to you, he's quite entitled, I would imagine, Kalal, to go to the office or the human resources sure. people or the salary department or the boss or whoever it is and say that they have to give you a detailed payslip. Okay. Thank you, man. Okay, well, good luck with that, Humphrey. Don't leave it, though. Okay, thank you. All right. No problem. Thanks. Yes. Good night to you. Bye-bye. That is, I mean, you you are, as I mentioned, in the employment law department. So, I mean, you come across employment law, and this is one of those things we were mentioned about people not being treated correctly. 
exactly. but yet not knowing what their rights are. And that, I think, is a big issue when it comes to things like pension and provident fund and, and the problems that people are facing here. Exactly. And and it's an important thing to ask to know exactly what contributions are being made on your behalf. Obviously, something like your UIF is something that um, your employers obliged to contribute, but also particularly, like we said, to any different funds to your medical aid, you want to know that those contributions are being deducted um, from your pay and that are they being paid across to the relevant funds. The other problem is, and it's a rather sad situation because it happens sometimes, quite often, you need to keep those pay slips because there are occasions when companies, and they're very few and far between, but it does happen, where they aren't paying that money over to the pension fund or the UIF or they're telling you they're doing it but when it comes to the crunch you discover they haven't done it. Absolutely it's, it's something that happens more and more in practice particularly with small employers but I mean by no means do you, do we want to generalize like that but you'd like to know exactly what contributions have been made on your, your behalf because you're completely correct in saying it's something that does happen quite frequently where employers will go so far even to deduct money from the employee's salary mm. Um, and use that for their own purposes and not pay it across to the relevant That's what I'm saying, keep your pay the as proof. The funds in that situation do have a responsibility to go, and like we said, they're two separate entities entirely. They have an obligation to go and ensure that they follow up with that and they enforce that non-payment. But for, for your own personal records and to make sure that you're aware of what's being paid across in your behalf, I certainly agree that it's important to keep those pay slips. Right, Guy in the Strand, good evening. Hello, Guy. I, yeah, it's oh. not a UAF question, but... Oh, no, we weren't... De- we actually not really... We're supposed to be dealing with pension and provident and retirement funding problems. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm 63, uh, spent 12 years in Canada, took out Canadian citizenship while I was there, and married a Canadian. We've been back here now about 25 years, and we're looking to sell our property here and possibly head back to, back to Canada for a season. Uh, you mentioned restrictions on funds being transferred out of the country. Do you, can you tell me what the amount is or what, what the, the limit is? Uh, guy, I, I, I don't want to guess and put you in the wrong direction. Um, but like I said, those guidelines, those exchange control regulations, that's what, they, that's what they're called, um, they're very easy to find, even if you just had to look at them, look for them on the internet. They're published by the Reserve Bank, um, and they're actually intended for for individuals and people, not so much intended for legal uh, experts. So, you know, if you went and looked at it, if that's what you're considering doing, um, I'd strongly recommend that you went and found them and you looked at them yourself, and, and you'll be able to get the answers to all of those type of queries um, just by reading through those different regulations, those exchange control rules and exchange control regulations. Good. I'll do that. Okay, no thanks, Guy. Thank all right, good, good night. night to you. What I will do, though, for all of you listening out there, you know I always do this every Monday evening, I will go and try and find the exchange control regulations and I will pop them onto the Facebook page. So you can go and have a look. It's law on SAFM and hopefully in the next day or so I should have a link up for, for those. If you um wanting to go and find them there, I will try and find them for you. So have a look at law on SAFM on the Facebook page and hopefully in the next day or so I'll have them up there. Right, Matswaki in Vitbank, good evening. Good evening. Hello. How can we help you? Yeah, I just wanted to get uh, clarity uh, regarding this government employees pension fund. This one that lump sum and the gratuity, how how does it work? The one that when when you 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 go and retirement, do you have to request for it, or does the government when you complete? The necessary forms automatically going to pay it out to you. 
Um, that's a good question. With the government's employees' pension fund and other pension funds as well, it's not something that automatically happens that you're entitled to one-third of your benefit. If you're a member of a pension fund, you can elect to take one-third of it up till cash, uh, in cash. But what it means is that the amount of a pension that you receive monthly going forward will be slightly less than if you didn't receive that one third. So you don't actually have to have to receive the one third. You can receive less than that. That's the maximum that you can receive. But specifically to answer your question, that's something that you have to elect to do. So when you reach retirement age, that fund will ask you to uh, complete certain forms and to make those type of decisions. And you will decide and Ideally, you'd be doing this based on, on financial advice that you receive. You'd decide how much of that one-third you want to take as a lump sum, and the balance would be used to provide you with a pension. All right. But like I said, the, the amount that you take up to one-third impacts on the amount of pension that you receive going forward, and that's why it's something that, that, that's best done with the, the assistance of a financial advisor. So, Matswaki, you don't have to take any of it if you don't want to. You can leave it all there, and then every the amount you get every month will be bigger than if you took out that one-third. Oh, I see. So, if you I take see. out the one-third, it's taking away from the, the whole amount, and then you only get your monthly pension based on what's left. Whereas if you leave the one-third in there, you, you just leave the whole lot in there, the amount that you get every month will be more. Oh, I see. Thank you so much for no the problem. answer. Okay, Matswaki, have a good evening. Thanks. Good night to you. Right, off to Stellenbosch. Adrian, good evening. Hi, good evening. <coughs> My name is Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Hello, um, Adrian. I'm, I'm coming from the forest in Disney, actually the state forest. And uh, I started working there in 1980. And some of my colleagues even uh, 20 to 30 years before me. But what happened uh, pre-1994 uh, was if, if, um, if a white person... And a colored person and a black person joins on the same day the pension fund. Only the white person get a fifty percent of what, or if he pays in say fifty hundred rand into the the pension fund, he gets another hundred rand from the state. While the the colored Indian can only get the if he has worked for three years. Uh, in the state and the, the the black people, they can only uh, 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 get uh, they only get that uh, amount after five years if they work for the state. Now uh, uh, that has, uh, that issue did come up into uh, come up uh, in, in, in parliament, and um, uh, there was a, a big issue about it. And people, the black and colored people and Indian people, they did when they, they went to their working places and fell in forms to claim those money back, which they have lost, uh, uh, those uh, 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 which the state contributed to the pension fund um, for those three years to for colored and Indians and for the five years of, uh, of black people. Now, uh, I want to know from, the, from, from, from your guest there, he, he, does he know anything about it? Because we are still informed three to, and, and, and two years ago already, but nothing has happened. Uh, I just wanted to know whether you got any knowledge about it. All right, Adrian, this is quite a complicated area, but I'll give you the best explanation I can. I understand and I'm aware of exactly what you're talking about, as that being something that happened in the past, that uh, certain categories of people were only entitled to receive a certain portion of their benefits when they left their fund 
depending on the, the different race group that they belong to um, and any other restrictions that were contained in the rules of the fund. Then in 2001, uh, the legislation, the Pension Funds Act legislation was changed and funds were required to do surplus apportionment schemes and any surplus that different funds had was used to rectify injustices like that that occurred in the past of people not receiving their full benefit when they left the fund. So you could have a situation where a person is applying in terms of a surplus apportionment scheme, uh, which is something that is regulated in terms of the Pension Funds Act, or you could have a situation where in a particular case, um, and I'm not sure of the of the exact fund that you're referring to, that if the state was your employer, then they are going back historically and trying to rectify that old scenario by paying people their contributions that they didn't, uh, they didn't receive. Um, but that is obviously quite circumstantial. So for you, it depends on the particular fund that you that you are a member of, um, and 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 where people were told to go and claim, and how they were t entitled to claim those those particular benefits. Um, it, it like I said, it's difficult to to know based on those facts whether it's something that is that a payment that they're claiming in terms of the pension funds act, or it's a separate gratuity that's now being paid to them by their former employer. Um, but all I would do if I was you is you can try and contact the same employer that you're employed by or that fund to find out what the process is for claiming those benefits and to follow up if you have claimed them already as to why you're not receiving that payment. You said they filled in the forms about two years ago. Sure. I mean, obviously, these type of things are, are, are paperwork issues. They're admin issues where it's it's not, in most cases, it's not actually a specifically a legal issue. It's something where there's just a lot of red tape, if you want to call it that. It's saying that you, you need to continue to make follow-ups and, and try to establish why it is that if you think that you're entitled to benefit, you haven't received that. And once you've got those those exact reasons then your next step would actually be to seek some sort of legal advice but it's very difficult for someone to help you from a legal perspective until you've been told of the actual reasons why you didn't receive the benefit is it because you didn't qualify is it because they haven't gone through all of the different applications um, but you certainly before you take that type of matter any further you need to follow up with whoever it was that you filled in those those forms for, for to determine whether you actually have any entitlements well, I can, I, can clear, I can clearly tell you that I did uh, follow up on behalf of a lot of people several times uh, to, the, to an, uh, a certain HR manager still in government. And, uh, and I think in the beginning you, you probably sort of half misunderstood me. You know, so I just want uh, what I actually tried to, to tell you is that certain people got advantages from day, day one. And, and other people only got advantage from, from, the, government, uh, from the government pension fund only if, from from the fifth year, if they have completed the fifth year, yes, you you, you, you see, and the, the the pension fund that we belong in, especially the forestry and agricultural people, was a government pension fund where we have contributed, uh, say say hundred rand, and the state will contribute another hundred rand to uh, uh, to the fund. So, but the the, the, the hundred rand. Of the of the uh, of the past three years for coloured and Indians and the, the the five years for black people, uh, 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 that is the money that we are fighting for and we are uh, we are asking government to, to to give back. And apparently, Trevor Manuel, uh, we were still minister of finance. Apparently, he put that money into a trust. And what I also followed followed up. In the, in the Pretoria office, apparently the, the, the staff was a year ago, the staff was just lying there, and nobody was working even on those files or on those papers, and they were just uh, getting dust there. So 
Maybe sure. if you can uh, give no, us Adrian, some advice where to go to, a- I would be glad. Adrian, I, I understand exactly the, the point that you're making about people receiving different benefits and not receiving the employer contribution towards the fund. Um, but unfortunately, exactly like you said, I mean, this is an issue that um, effectively with the with the government being your employer that you have to take up with them. And I mean, yeah. there's all type of thing that you said there, and, and, and I'm not trying to be unhelpful in any way, but there's that's something that we, you know, myself personally, or, or probably any legal profession that you talk to, can't assist you until you get um, further clarity um, regarding those benefits. You 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 could possibly consider, like I said, approaching the courts or, um, or or lodging a claim with that government's employees' pension fund. But I'd strongly recommend that you that you did a bit more investigation on your side. Um, it, it sounds a bit like, you know, a bit of hearsay in terms of what's happened with those money and monies and whether people actually have an entitlement to, to those benefits. So what I, would, what I would recommend is that you get some sort of feedback or answer in writing um, from whichever government department you're dealing with. And then, like I was saying earlier, once you have those particular reasons and you have something uh, concrete to rely on, then you can go and seek professional advice as to what the best way for you to proceed is going forward. Would the pension ombudsman have anything to do with this? The pension fund ombudsman um, could assist as well. The, the The one issue with the pension funds ombudsman is that it's only pension funds that are regulated in terms of the pension funds act that are governed by that um, by that are not governed by the pension funds ombudsman, but the pension funds ombudsman uh, has jurisdiction over, which refers to the pension funds adjudicator. So your first step would be to establish whether your particular fund um, actually yep. falls within the jurisdiction of the pension funds adjudicator but even so i mean whether it was approaching the pension funds adjudicator or whether it was approaching courts or seeking specialist legal advice like i said i mean just based on those facts that you've given me i'd recommend that you need to follow up it seems that you that you are getting somewhere with the particular government department that you're dealing with when he said he found that all the files were lying there gathering dust and no one was doing anything exactly but i mean if you can get that uh, I, I doubt that you're ever going to get the, that someone's going to put that in right so you need to firmly establish exactly what's going on um, and whether you do have an entitlement to claim and, and why it's not being claimed and thereafter take it from there, whether with, whether it's with an ombudsman or whether it's in court or whether it's with the assistance of of a of, of, a, of an attorney. Do you have anything in writing from them, Adrian? No, no, no. Some, are, some of us just got copies of the, of the forms that they're filled in. I, unfortunately, I myself haven't got a copy, um, but some, some people do got copies, photocopies of the, of the forms that they're filled in. Okay, well, what I think what, what Carlisle is saying, your next step is possibly to write to them because the best thing to do always is keep things in writing, get copies mm. of everything. Write them a letter and ask them to reply to you and explain exactly what the story is and wait for that. And once you get that response, that is when you can move forward, once you've got something from them in writing. And Adrian, even those forms, I mean, those can be quite helpful as well because those forms will show exactly who you're claiming for, from and what you what you are actually claiming. So, I mean, you said that you don't have one, but the people that are claiming uh, along with you have those forms. Even that will obviously give some some sort of indication as to 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 whether there is some entitlement and who's responsible for paying out those benefits. So yeah. I would I, I would recommend that you that they complete those forms and then, like I said, just follow up with them. I know it sounds like very general advice, but like I said, if if you've got that sort of process in place where you have an opportunity to claim that benefit, there really is no point in, in seeking any further advice until you really have exhausted it. Um, you've made all the follow-ups that you can, and you've got some sort of definitive answer, not not a rumor about what's happened with the money um, or, or what you may be entitled to. You need something concrete to rely on um, before you take it any further than that. Well, thank, thanks, thanks very much. Okay, and good luck to you and everybody okay, else. Thank there. you. Thanks, Adrian. Bye. Good night to you. Martin in Limpopo, good evening. 
evening, ma'am. Hello, how can we help you, Martin? Yes, I'm asking uh, help from your guest there, if there is any. But uh, it's in connection with my Provident Fund, which I lost somewhere in 1983 from an international company which I worked for, for plus minus seven years. And uh, at some stage, we were asked as, uh, uh, as workers there to fill some forms for the Provident Fund. But uh, in 1983, the first, when we got back to work, I was told that uh, my job is finished. And from there, I was told to go to come in two days' time to come and collect my, my money. Hello? Yes, we're listening. Yes. yes, and then I went there. I was given 1,000 rent over the counter. That is just a check of 1,000 rent without no paper. There was nothing at all. And uh, that is that. And then later, uh, after some years, uh, in 2000, yes, I think it's 2000, there was an exit uh, that says uh, people who were working on the motor industry, which of course I was working in that international company, it's a motor industry one. And then that exit was saying both people who were working there should and fill forms for to, to claim their benefits, their provident funds. And uh, fortunately enough, I got the forms and I filled them to that uh, that institution. It's called DRS, Benefit Recovery Services, which I did. And I never got any response from them until I got an advice from somebody as I was with, uh, trying to get some help. Someone asked me to, to go to the Department of Labor. And I went to the Department of Labor, and the Department of Labor locally here, they told me that there's nothing that they can do. Uh, then someone said, no, you can write a letter to the motor industry. Then I did that. The motor industry responded by saying to me uh, that I cannot, I cannot claim that for the Provident Fund because that was the, uh, they call it an in-house thing or in-house arrangement. And yet I know by then, uh, uh, maybe today it might have changed, but by then the international company had many branches countrywide and we were all in one sort of the payroll, if I may put it that way. And up to date, I haven't got any Okay, we've got about three minutes, Martin, so Ma- let Connor answer you as quickly as he can. Martin, um, just to separate, it seems like there's, there may be two different benefits that were payable here. First of all, you were employed, you were a member of that Provident Fund, and then you mentioned going and receiving a 1,000 Rand. That would seem as if that was your withdrawal benefit from that fund, so that was what you had contributed to the fund. Now, what I think, and, and this is just me guessing, that when you talk about an advert and possibly becoming entitled to something in 2000, that sounds to me like it was in terms of a surplus apportionment scheme. No, this was a, something called the Benefit Recovery Service. That may have just, uh, it seems to me that that was just something that um, possibly those different surplus benefits got paid to. But that oh, was okay. about the time period when the legislation changed. It was in, in 2001. Um, and people that were members of, 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 of funds years before 
had potentially had an entitlement to a benefit that became payable in terms of the surplus apportionment scheme. Now you say that you've that you applied and that you weren't successful. Um, and then, and more importantly, you mentioned something along the fact that you've actually had a response from the Motor Industries Provident Fund that explained to you why you weren't entitled to that. That that's that's a good step. Um, it, it, that that response that they gave you that you just explained to us doesn't really make much sense in terms of saying that it was an in-house procedure. Um, but what I would strongly recommend is that 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 type of complaint you've now got a response, and you know, following on from this previous call that we had, you've you've got that response and we explains why they they think that you weren't entitled to that particular benefit distribution, if you want to call it that, and assuming that it may have been a surplus apportionment scheme, you can then take your complaint from there and lodge it with the financial services board, um, which deals with those complaints. Um, and you know, there may be something that Karen can assist with in terms of putting you in touch with the correct people. And then you would lodge a claim and you'd also put up that reason that you were given, given why you weren't entitled to a benefit. And then you could seek, if you feel that it's unfair, whatever reason that they've given you as to why you're not entitled to a benefit, um, then you can ask the financial services board, which is effectively like an ombudsman in these cases to determine what your entitlement is and whether there was any sort of unfair practice in relation to you and your benefits. Martin, do you have an email address? Yes. Okay, I'm going to put you back to my producer and um, he's going to take down your email address and then I will get that information for you and just give him your email address and then I will get that information for you tomorrow. And I'll, I'll email that. that to you. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Martin, hold the line. Great. Okay. Gosh, well, it's, as we mentioned in the beginning, a lot of it's got to do with the fact that a lot of people are unaware. A lot of people are being given, unfortunately, bad information along the way. But, yeah, that's why we do what we do. Hopefully we can help a few people. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Attorney Carlisle Field, and he's an associate partner at Shepston Wiley Attorneys, and he works in the Employment Law Department as in specifically focusing on retirement fund law. And he's been a member... Of, well, no, I'm getting my teeth all tied around myself. He's a member of the Pension Lawyers Association of South Africa, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Carlisle, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Really enjoyed having you in studio. Thanks very much, Brian. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. And um, hope, like like you said, I hope we've helped a few people. Hopefully. Yes, that's the main aim of the show every week, so hopefully we've done that this evening. The Law Report, as you know, is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And a reminder again of the list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Well, in next week's program, being the last Monday of the month, we'll once again be joined by a Attorney Marlon Chevalu for our monthly property law program. And this month we'll also be joined by attorney and conveyancer Frank Holland. That's the law report next Monday, the 27th of January. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with Health Matters, so join me then. But Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Karen. Thank you. As always, do join her tomorrow for Health Matters too. And yes, do keep your pay slips. Tut, tut, tut. I don't. I'm always looking for them. Anyway, just gone 10 o'clock. It's time for nighttime music between now and uh, midnight. Uh, mellow stuff on a Monday night. Well, mainly so. Anyway, first the news at 10 o'clock, though.